Nervous Fluid, Chapter 8, Quincunx. May I see your passport, please? A uniformed lady at the airport asked Max while he was standing in line and woke him from his daydreaming. He had a lot to think about, what with his new job and research program, but that was not what was on his mind. Instead, it was Emily and what kind of relationship scenarios could play out on this trip. He wondered if she really only asked him down to break up with him, but that was his most pessimistic train of thought. He also realized that that wasn't how Indiana Jane would break up with him either. She would just stop picking up the phone. He boarded the plane and put on his headphones and slept most of the flight. She gave him the name of the bar to meet her in Acapulco if his cell phone didn't work. He disembarked the plane and immediately realized it didn't work, so he hailed a cab and asked the driver if he knew the place. The driver nodded and dropped him off on a street near the shore and pointed to a building with a thatched roof on the beach. He tipped the driver and walked towards a tiki bar. It had swings for seats, but Emily was not on one of them. His eyes scanned the beach. The sun was setting, and most of the families on vacation had packed up. There were a few couples strolling hand in hand, but no Emily. He took a seat at the bar and had a couple of Negra Modellos with chips and salsa while the sun set. It ended up being a really nice dinner. The tavern lights came on when the moon was the only light. Max still wasn't worried. Emily was a woman of her word, but punctuality was not her strong suit. Max caught a flash of tan legs on the other end of the bar and turned to see Emily striding toward him with her bare feet in the sand. She was wearing loose khaki shorts and a teal tank top. Her face was so tan from what Max remembered, her brilliantly white teeth looked almost out of place. Hey there, stranger, Emily said as he, she got close. Look what the cat drug in, Max replied. I could use a beer, Emily said as she took a swing next to Max. Max held up two fingers to the bartender, indicating he could use another. The bartender complied, and Max leaned back in his swing with his back against the bar, and Emily crossed her legs while they drank and watched the waves crash into the ocean. Emily broke the silence first. I was hoping we could leave early tomorrow. The expedition's timetable is pretty tight, and we... Emily stopped talking because Max's index finger was on her lips. He didn't have dinner, and the beers made him bolder than usual. He simply shook his head and leaned over for a kiss, and she surprised him by leaning in as well. They didn't talk the rest of the night. They did, however, get up early. Emily had booked them a hotel room adjacent to the bar, and she was up at dawn talking on the phone on the balcony. She hung up and came back inside. Max was unshowered and groggy. Okay, Carlos is going to come by and pick us up 15 minutes to take us to Tehuantepec, which is the closest large city to the dig sites. It's an all-day ride. Great, Max replied and buried his head in the pillow. This was not what he had in mind for the day's activities. Carlos, their driver, was a native Mexican with long black hair that wore a trucker hat and threadbare Pepsi t-shirt. 
He drove while they sat together in the back seat. The ride to Tehuantepec was long and bumpy, and they were both tired when they rolled into their apart her apartment. Emily told Carlos thanks, who just gave her a short nod and drove away. He's not the most talkative fellow, Emily remarked. I like Carlos, Max said, as he plopped down on Emily's couch. And why is that? Emily asked, as she made a small dinner for them in the, both in the kitchen. Because he doesn't look at you, Max said with a smile. Emily smiled back. Carlos has been our general guide and go-to. He's been a great help getting local cooperation with the digs and letting us know about potential local conflicts. He's also really affordable, which is good for our university budget. Tomorrow I'll show you our war room, and you can see what I've been up to these past six months. War room? That sounds intense. Oh, it's intense. I'm doing some serious groundbreaking research into early Mesoamerican history. You should be impressed. I'm impressed by your tan legs, and that should be all you require. Fair enough. Am I going to get to hear about your groundbreaking research? Max chuckled to himself and thought about it for a second before replying. I would tell you, but then I'd have to bury you. And why is that? Because you would die laughing. They were up at dawn again and walked to Emily's war room. Her research assistant was already there, a mousy grad student with glasses and a ponytail. He's taller than I thought he would be. You made him sound so small. Oh, Katie, why don't you find Carlos? Emily shot her a glare that made Max wince as Katie left the war room. In the middle of the war room was a table with a large map and a bunch of markers on it and Emily leaned over it to rearrange some of the markers that seemed to have moved out of place. Have you ever heard of LIDAR? Emily asked Max. Nope. Does it have to do with sonar? Not really. It's a way to do terrestrial imaging with lasers, not sound. They shoot lasers from a plane, and what comes out is this. Emily pointed to some pictures of a computer-generated relief of a hillside on the wall. Lately, researchers have found all kinds of undiscovered ancient cities with this technology. I could be down here the rest of my life, and we still would not have made much of a dent in the number of potential excavation sites that LIDAR has revealed. Max winced. He did not care for, particularly care for Central America. My research is focused on pre-Columbian Mesoamerican civilizations, which are some of the earliest known civilizations in North America. Our university's particular dig sites here had existed for decades before LIDAR and involved unnamed groups, collectively called archaic, that existed before the Olmecs, which were the big recognized group. Yeah, those are the guys who made the big heads, right? You got it. The colossal heads were sculpted as early as 1500 BC. Our sites figure to be closer to 2500 BC and up until the present time were only based on clustered pottery shards 
and evidence of maize cultivation. LIDAR, however, has opened up our eyes to ancient road networks and building foundations that were never previously known to us. Here, Emily pointed to the room war, war room table, are four different cities connected by roads that we have previously studied. She stepped back from the table and chose her words carefully. What do you see here, Max? Max leaned over the map, which was an agglomeration of all the LIDAR images. He could definitely see all the four cities she was mentioning, as they were clearly marked on the map. He was amazed at the, how the old roads stood out in the relief after all these years. It seemed some of the cities even had rudimentary canals dug. He wasn't sure what Emily was getting at, though. Instead of looking closer, he stepped back and surveyed the whole table. It's interesting how the towns are evenly spaced apart like a square. Do you think these ancient guys planned it this way? Emily's eyes got real wide and she smiled. You see it too? Look at their road networks. See where they all meet in the center of the square? Kind of, but there's nothing at the center point. We haven't marked anything here, but look closer. Max looked closer, but he couldn't find what she was talking about. There aren't any raised bumps like the other LiDAR images, images show. Right, but what else do you see? Max looked again. Adjacent to the crossroads were four square depressions in each quadrant. His eyes were trained to see the bumps, but he had ignored the depressions. These pits here? Max pointed and Emily nodded. It's not a square, it's a quincunx. Excuse you? A quincunx is a diamond with a point in the middle, like a five on a game die. It's a common design in Mesoamerican culture, symbolizing four directions or four winds. They actually plan their whole civilization around this quincunx, so whatever is there must be important, and we're going there tomorrow. Tomorrow? What are we going to do the rest of the day? Max asked, and Emily smiled. I'm sure you'll think of something. Tomorrow came, and Carlos was waiting next to the van. Same trucker hat and same threadbare Pepsi t-shirt. Max imagined he washed it every night. It's a two-hour drive to the foothills where the dig sites are located. We are packing some extra supplies because this is so far uncharted terrain for us. Where's Katie? Emily asked, and Carlos piped up. She told me no come. Emily looked furious for a second and then calmed down immediately as if remembering something. Right, time to go, Emily said as she hopped into the back of the van that was full of pickaxes, bottled water, and machetes. Max followed suit and found a place to sit next behind Carlos. You're going to have to teach me to do this archaeology stuff. I've never been to a dig site before, Max said to Emily. Emily's face got real serious, and she spoke in a very gruff, masculine voice. You got a strong back? I'll put you to work. Carlos laughed from the front seat at Emily's remark, and the couple stared at each other in amazement. 
The rest of the trip was uneventful until they got near the dig sites. Emily was directing Carlos where to go, and Carlos inadvertently made a couple of wrong turns. They ended up on a dirt road that went straight to the crossroads location that was covered with forest canopy. It was not on the LIDAR, which meant it was new. Max looked out the window and saw some agricultural laborers in the distance. The road petered out, and they came to a stop. We're about a mile out. Let's grab some machetes and sh shovel for a preliminary survey, Emily said as she ch popped out of the back of the van. Emily took the lead with her cell phone GPS leading the way through the forest. The forest was not dense, but it had a high canopy. Max had a pickaxe in one hand and a rope slung over his shoulder, while Carlos walked next to him with just his machete. Along the way, Max spied more agricultural workers with bundles slung over their shoulders and thought he heard the sound of other vehicles in the distance. It made Max feel safe that they were in a place where there were other signs of civilization. After 15 minutes of walking, they neared their destination and the forest became dense. Emily approached a thick copse and started slashing with the machete that spent the trip dangling from her belt loop. Emily motioned to Carlos to help with the cutting. Carlos looked at Max. Max stared back at Shrugged. Carlos walked over to Emily and put a hand on her shoulder. She stopped and turned around, and Carlos motioned and led her to an alternate location. Emily asked why, and Carlos didn't respond, and instead just started making a path with his own machete. Emily looked at Max, who just shrugged. After a good five minutes through thick brush, they found their intended coordinates. There was indeed a depression, but nothing to indicate human activity. Max tried digging a couple of shovelfuls full of dirt to pull up some evidence, but there was nothing in the depression close to the surface. Emily sighed. After 4,000 years, it could be as much as five feet down. On to the next one. The next one was a depression 200 feet away in a clearing. It seemed much larger than the first and shallower. There was no need to dig it, as it could have been any other location in the forest. Emily pulled off her knapsack. Water break, guys, she said, and tossed them each a water bottle and took one for herself. She played with her phone, and Max spotted another agricultural worker near where the first pit was supposed to be. Carlos saw him, too, and shot a glass at, glance at Max, but didn't say anything, and instead took a drink of water. Okay, next, Emily said, and walked about 150 feet to the other site that was covered in dense foliage. Carlos didn't wait for Emily this time, instead picked a place and started hacking through the brush. Emily took his cue and followed behind. When they finally reached their coordinates, Emily just shrugged her shoulders and looked at Max. The forest was so dense it was hard to find any sign. Max poked around with his shovel. He was wary of spiders and insects in general, so instead of slashing, he stuck his shovel against a batch of reeds at their base and bent them over with his foot. The reeds stayed bent when he lifted his foot, so he repeated this process 
until he carved a small tunnel through the reeds. His nose caught a whiff of something. The smell was musty like a basement, and he plowed further into the reeds to investigate its source. He remembered from the LIDAR map that there were, was a stream bed near this pit. He set the shovel down on the reeds and felt something hard underneath. He looked up and realized it was the roots of a large old tree about 15 feet from him. He moved toward the tree, hoping to get a better vantage point as the smell grew stronger. The reeds parted and a black expanse revealed itself in front of him. Emily, you better get over here, Max said loud enough for them to hear and he waited until Emily and Carlos appeared through the reed tunnel. Emily let out an audible gasp when she saw it. Under the tree was a grotto made of hand-hewed stones enveloped in tree roots. A passageway was visible with no end in sight, but it was half blocked by soil. Emily stared at it a solid minute before saying anything. Even Carlos seemed impressed. Today, we have to do this today, Emily said to herself. I couldn't forgive myself if... She trailed off, and then picked up her line of thought and then addressed the two of them. I need to get some light. I will get, Carlos said, and disappeared through the reed tunnel. Emily immediately went to work and felt the surface of the grotto with her hands. She pointed to Max's shovel and directed him to remove the dirt from the entrance. Max went to work with his shovel while Emily used her hands to remove the excess dirt. As they were doing this, Max felt the entrance breathing, indicating it was larger than he expected and that it may have another access point. They continued until Carlos came back with a flashlight and a flare. Emily took the flashlight and shone it in the black hole. The stonework ceased past the entrance and smooth stone walls and ceiling descended down. That explains a lot. It's a cave. Give me a rope, she said to Max, who complied and then proceeded to tie off on a thick tree root. She then grabbed the flare from Carlos and advanced into the cave, rappel-like backward, with both hands on the rope, bent-wristed. Are you sure that's a good idea? I've heard of weird diseases of people who go into the tombs. Those tombs were sealed for thousands of years, Emily said as she descended into the opening, careful to duck under the low entrance. I'm more afraid of snakes. Max kept the flashlight on her as she descended. There were no steps and it was steep. She would need the rope to get back up. Finding the flashlight didn't illuminate her anymore and she disappeared into blackness. After a few minutes, the line went slack. He looked at Carlos and shook his head while he tiled tied the flashlight to his waist and gripped the rope as she had and proceeded downward. Once in the cave, it immediately got cooler. The flashlight on his waist shone against the cave walls that shimmered with minerals and moisture. He quickly got to the point where Emily disappeared and the cave floor dropped at a 45 degree angle. Max took smaller steps at this point on one, until one step his foot didn't hit anything. He turned his head to reveal a 10-foot drop with no Emily at the bottom, which was a good sign. Max slowly climbed down the rope and looked around. 
Ahead of him was an atrium, bathed in pink light from the flare. He entered in the atrium, which was about the size of the auditorium back at THMI. Emily was standing in the center of the room by the flare, admiring the stonework that covered all of the walls. As Mask's eyes adjusted to the pink light, he realized it wasn't stonework at all, rather skullwork. The whole room was lined in skulls, methodically arranged and cast in place. It was both impressive and haunting at the same time. Emily realized Max was behind her and reached for his flashlight. She took it and shone it against a wall and then started taking pictures with her camera. Max took the opportunity to scout the perimeter. There was an altar at the opposite end of the room and an empty corridor that petered out in a wall of mud and rock. He imagined it was one of the other pit entrances that had long since closed. The altar was a simple stone table set against the wall waist high. On top of it was a relief sculpture of something he couldn't quite make out. He waited beside it until Emily came over with her flashlight. Emily came over and gasped when she saw it. She immediately took several pictures. Max noticed her hands were trembling as she took them. What is it? Max asked. It's... Emily was breathless. She shook her head, regained her composure, and said, I need a bigger team down here. The university needs to know about this. All right, Max said. I was starting to get hungry anyway. They walked over to where the entrance where the drop-off was and hunted for the rope. It was nowhere to be found. There were no handholds either to climb. Okay, maybe I can give you a boost, Max offered. Emily shook her head. I still don't think we can make it. It's worth a shot, Max contended. Save your strength, came a voice from above. Carlos, our savior, Emily explained and breathed a sigh of relief. I'm afraid not today, Emily, Carlos replied. He sounded sad and spoke slowly, his thick accent diminishing as he spoke. My time of service to you is over. We are going to let you up, but there are a few things you need to understand first. Who are we? What do, don't I understand? Is this a shakedown or something? Emily was visibly perturbed. Max put a hand on her shoulder. Max understood. He had seen the agricultural workers and knew why Carlos was keen on cutting a swath through the forest. This was his farm and those were his workers. It seems our friend Carlos here is a drug lord and we have inadvertently wandered into his growing operation. Emily turned to Max, her jaw dropped open. You have a flair for the dramatic, Pancho. I am only an entrepreneur. It is true, though. I don't need your money, and I have little interest in your archaeology. I just volunteered to keep an eye on you and to make sure you did not cause us trouble. You have found something very interesting here, and you will likely draw more attention to this site than we would like. 
Here's my offer. Pancho will leave, and I will keep Emily as collateral. You can, she can continue her work on the other sites, and I will get her another helper. All your communication will be monitored until our operation here has ended, and you will be under our surveillance. I estimate we will be complete here in two months, and then you can return to the United States. Killing either of you will draw attention that I would like to avoid. I believe I'm making you a reasonable offer, but I realize this is a lot to take in. I will give you some time to think about it while I arrange for some of my associates to escort you back to Tehuantepec. And with that, he was gone. Emily did not freak out at this point. Her eyes were closed, and she held two fingers to her right temple. Max waited for her reaction before attempting to say anything. Taking the deal was the only way, but so much of her life was wrapped up in this endeavor. He didn't want to seem insensitive. All of a sudden, her eyes shut open. She ran to the other side of the atrium towards the altar. Max was slow to follow, and before he knew it, she was running back with something in her arms. Lift up your shirt, Emily demanded and Max complied by unbuttoning his loud Hawaiian polyester shirt and lifting it over his head. Emily pulled the back of his cargo shorts open, and he felt cool stone against his back. She pulled his shirt down over it, stood back, and examined him before nodding to herself in approval. She then looked into his eyes and gave him a kiss on the lips. Just roll with it, hun, she said. They were in Emily's apartment alone in Tuantepec. The artifact lay face down on Emily's coffee table, and she was pacing. It was an uncomfortable ride home for Max, but their captors were none the wiser. When they got back, the escort swept the apartment and took both her cell phone and her laptop. They were told Carlos would be back in a couple of hours to take Max to a nearby airport. Their search for Katie revealed that she had skipped town and went back to school. She left a letter detailing her dissatisfaction with her internship experience, and Emily in general. Emily laughed when she read it. All of a sudden, she stopped pacing and opened her kitchen cupboards and pulled out a large, cream-colored decorative candle. She then picked up the artifact and put it in her microwave with the candle on it face-off, and turned it on. The candle melted and coated the face of the stone. She then took it out of the microwave and set it on the counter. It is a federal offense to take artifacts out of Mexico. You could be put into a Mexican prison the rest of your life, but it's a risk I'm willing to take, Emily said with a smile. I'll just blame it on Carlos, Max replied confidently. You mean the poor shepherder who lives at the edge of town? She had a point. They had no evidence of wrongdoing. He probably would have killed Emily if he said that. When the candle wax cooled down sufficiently, Emily took her finger and wrote Emily Hart's Max on the face. Just put it in your luggage. They'll never suspect it. Carlos came to the door eventually, and he and Max had a silent ride to the airport in a nearby town. Before Max got out of the car, Carlos
Carlos gave him some money for a plane ticket. Max leaned through the open window and said, Thanks, Carlos. You're not such a bad guy, but if you hurt Emily, I'll do my best to kill you. I know, Pancho, Carlos replied.